You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Let's pray. Father, if we trusted in our own strength, we would indeed lose. But our trust is in the name of the Lord, and your word tells us that your name is like a strong tower. The righteous can run to it and are safe. Pray that we would continue to worship you as a people who are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That you sit enthroned over the heavens, Lord Jesus, as King and Lord. Would you receive our worship this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Good morning. Maybe you can hear I am the culprit in my house for why we are not hosting Pastor's Coffee today. Um, I have a bit of a cold that has come on over the last three days, and so um, I figured I can, I can safely uh, communicate from up here. Um, I just won't breathe on you in my living room in a couple of hours. Um, good morning. You can grab your Bibles, turn to Jude. That's where we're going to be today. We're finishing up um, the book of Jude today. Uh, if you need a Bible, some folks are coming around, um, Joe and Aiden it looks like, and they can get you one. If you do not own a Bible or you do not know where yours is in your life, please take this. Um, with you so you have one of your own. Um, As I said, we're coming to the end of our study in Jude, uh, 24 verses only, uh, 25, 25 verses. Um, But over these last five weeks, we've kind of spread it out. And and I was telling someone this past week, I I think Jude has been um, more weighty or more significant, if I can say it that way, than maybe even I anticipated. I was hopeful for it as we kind of mapped out where we were going to be here this fall. Because even though Jude doesn't unpack any uh, new or or really overly complex uh, theology, it's not not Paul making a a multi-layered argument for justification by faith or anything like that. It's not particularly complex. I think Jude has been um, pretty foundational touching on some things for us as followers of Jesus that are both particularly timely in the context in which we live and I think pretty significant. And and so in just a few verses, a few words really that Jude's given us, he's laid down some pretty significant foundation, if I can say it this way, some anchors for us. And today we're going to tackle Jude's beautiful closing words, just the last two Verses. But before we dig into just the last two verses, his doxology today, uh, let's read all the way through one more time through Jude's letter. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. This is the whole letter of Jude, verses 1 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people 
who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their, all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. It's not water, it's coffee, because drink the real stuff. Now, um, it doesn't happen much nowadays with the advent of everything that streams, but as a kid growing up, on a random Saturday, I would turn on the television, and I would find myself somewhere in the middle of a movie or a show. You just pick a channel, right? And whatever's playing, you watch that. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know who the actors were. You didn't know what the characters were doing. You had no idea of the plot. And most of the time, you're like, I'll watch it. (laughs) Right? But you just would keep watching. I don't know. None of you do that because you're just like, I'm just going to binge it from beginning to end. I can just pick the episode I want. Right? We don't don't do that anymore. But, But think about it in these terms. 
There's probably no one in the room who just goes, grabs a random book off the shelves, open it up, opens it up to the middle, and just starts reading. Like, what kind of monster would do that? Right? So before we look at these last two verses of Jude, I just want to take a snapshot. Most of you have been with us this whole time, but I, don't want, I want to make sure we're not just jumping in at the end or jumping in at the, the middle. So I want to take just a minute and walk through what we've already kind of gone through these last number of weeks. Why is Jude writing this, and then how do we find ourselves here at the last two verses? Our theme for this whole series through Jude's letter, uh, the title we've given it is Contend, which comes from verse 3, where Jude says, I'm writing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Our, Our theme, if you will, for this whole book has been this, that Jude is a call to contend for the faith by exalting in the truth, rejecting what is false, and holding fast to our faithful God who holds fast to us. Jude says, hold fast to the truth of the gospel of Jesus because there are many false teachers with many half-truths and for your sake and for the sake of all those who will trust in Jesus through your message, through your life, and through your ministry, remember your identity in Christ. Remember his promise to call and keep you as his beloved children. Remember that God is good and just. So stand strong in who you are and stand strong in all of God's promises. And from that identity, from those promises, Proclaim the hope of the gospel as ambassadors for Jesus. It's part of what Jude is saying. Jude seems to almost be reiterating what Jesus himself said in John 16. Jesus, trying to comfort his disciples, says this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jude's just reiterating this reality of there will be trouble, and God's promises are sure. And now we get to the final two verses of this letter, verses 24 and 25. Now, in your Bible, like in mine, there's likely a little editorial mark that says doxology. Uh, that's left there by the, by the translators as they break the book up into something you know, readable for us. So it doesn't say doxology in the original text. You didn't write a little doxology title there. But, but that's, that's what mine says too. Basically, a doxology is a big word That means a closing song of praise. And so what we have here at the end of Jude, these last two verses, is an exclamation of praise from Jude. And he's encouraging God's people who are reading this letter, those who are persevering by faith in the world that has gone crazy around them, and and Jude is saying, I want to encourage you by, by, let's praise together God. And it's interesting that Jude includes a doxology as opposed to maybe a more formal benediction. It's another word. We'll often close our time of corporate worship here with a benediction. We've kind of written it right into our little liturgy structure where likely me, but whoever, one of our elders who's been preaching will essentially give a blessing, which is what a benediction is. It's a blessing at the end of something. So as you go, we want you to receive God's blessing and take his blessing with you. A prime biblical example would be from Numbers, the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's a a well-known and rich biblical benediction or blessing. But 
But Jude doesn't use a, a blessing here. He, he gives what's referred to as a doxology. So, so if a benediction is a prayer or, or a proclamation, if you will, of God's blessing to His people, which is good and rich and we want to receive those, right? A doxology is a little bit different. It's a proclamation of God's majesty from the lips of God's people back to God. So, so Jude, in this case, is saying, we want to close this weighty, important, short, but, but, but meaningful letter with praise. It's a confession of worship. And so that's what Jude closes with, is praise. Jude's closing words, the final thing he gives them to a people living in a world that's hostile to their faith, the last thing he gives them is a shout of praise to God. Which leads us to the main thing I want to take from these last two verses of Jude. Here's kind of the big idea as we just look at this doxology. When in doubt, worship. <laughs> I think that's where Jude's kind of landing the plane. That in the midst of all of it that I've, that I've given you in the previous 23 verses, no matter what your world looks like, Jude says, let's worship. An exclamation point is, is a, the forceful punctuation at the end of a sentence. Here's your English lesson for the day. So just after Jude writes this, this encouragement to persevere, to live according to our new identity in Christ, he talks about abiding in God's love, growing in the gospel, prayerfully dependent on the Spirit, eyes fixed on the eternal mercy of God, he gives us a declaration of praise. Let's look at verses 24 and 25 again. Jude says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. When in doubt, worship. And there's a few things here in these two verses that kind of give shape, I think can give shape to our worship, and that's what I'd like to look at today. How Jude might be helping us shape our worship. Here's the first thing. Who's the focus? To whom is our worship addressed? Well, it's addressed to God. Look how Jude starts. Now to Him. Who's the Him? To God. And Jude makes it really clear. There's only one, Jude says, who can is able to keep us from stumbling. There's one who is able to present us blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. There is only one who's the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ. Jude is directing our attention and our worship directly to God. Let's pick that apart a little bit. First, to the one who is able to, to keep you. And we've talked a lot already in Jude about that idea, that phrase. Jude opens with the words, to you who are kept by Jesus Christ. And here he says, to the one who is able to keep you. And so the, the picture that's given, the sense that's given here is an active protection of God for his people. It's not passive. It's not set it and forget it. It is an active protection of God for his people. And specifically says, he keeps you 
from stumbling. Another way to read this phrase would be to keep you free from sin. Now, in this sense, I don't think Jude is saying he keeps you from sinning entirely. He's not speaking of sinless perfection in this life, although we can be sure that God will guard us and protect us and give us strength to flee temptation, give us strength by the Spirit to stand up under trial. But what part of what Jude's getting at here, remember, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience who are now followers of Jesus. Jude is saying he's able to keep you from sinning in such a way that you would be lost forever. He's, he's going to keep you from stumbling in such a way that repentance would be unavailable to you. From stumbling in such a way that you would never be able to get back up. And Jude's saying, the Lord won't do that. There will be trials. There will be temptations. Sin and repentance in this life is a reality. And the promise here that Jude is holding on to and holding out before God's people is that God's chosen people will not stumble in sin irrevocably. Meaning... He won't let his people be ultimately lost. Now, this isn't new language. Jesus said the same thing in John 10. Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. That's, I think, what Jude is saying here. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's the one we worship the God whose sovereign hand is never too short to save even the worst of sinners. And not only to keep us, Jude continues, but to present us blameless. I don't know if you understand the, the significance of that word blameless. The, the Old Testament understanding of, of the word blameless is without blemish, pure, perfect. In fact, blamelessness and unblemished was a requirement for a worthy sacrifice to God. The animal that was going to be offered in the temple had to be without blemish, no markings, pure, blameless. And so Jude says that God presents us before himself completely blameless. I hope you see the, the gospel reality here that's ours because of Jesus. That Jesus himself was the perfect, sinless, blameless lamb of God who was sacrificed once for all for the sins of the world. He takes our sin and our blame so that we can take his purity and his blamelessness. And Jude says, our praise is offered to the only one who was able to keep us and to make us blameless before him. Jude wants to remind us of exactly who it is that we are worshiping. And what's actually encouraging about this, I mean, outside of just the gospel reality that he washes us clean, is that God doesn't do this begrudgingly. Look at what Jude says at the end of verse 24. He's able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Here it is, with great joy. Let me say that again. God does not do this begrudgingly. He doesn't purify us and save us and rescue us and keep us. Well, I guess I have to. With great joy. 
So, so when we read that it was, before, it was because of the joy that was set before Christ Jesus that he endured the cross, we have to know that God takes joy in his own work of redemption because he takes joy in his son Jesus. And Christ in us and us in Christ, God the Father takes joy in his people as he washes us and keeps us as his treasured possession. Don't miss that. With great joy. The shape of our worship starts with knowing to whom it's addressed. Jude says, now to him. That's the first way our worship takes shape. Second, what is ascribed to God? To ascribe means to attribute or to give credit for. Look at verse 25. He says, to, that's the address, right? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he uses this word, be. Be is the key word here when we're talking about ascribe. To what are we ascribing? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. And Jude gives us four beautifully rich words. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. I want to look at these real quick. First, glory. Glory is the brightness and splendor of God. In the the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, the glory of the Lord is often described as light because our finite brains can't fully conceive of God's supernatural glory. So the best thing we can come up with and the best thing we can understand is a remarkably bright light. It's about the best we can do. Now, do you remember being a kid on a hot, cloudless summer day and what did your mom tell you do not look directly at the sun why because it will melt your eyeballs right it'll literally damage your ability to see and the glory of god the glory of god would melt the moderately sized star that hangs in the center of our solar system. The brightness of our sun is nothing compared to the glory of God. Just want to give you some perspective on that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy that God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. That's the picture When you see the word glory, that's the the idea. Light so bright that, that even if we do get a glimpse of it, we have to look away because it is literally scary bright. The, the, The book of Exodus tells us that Moses goes up to meet with God on the mountain. And Moses can't see God because it would kill him. And so God tucks Moses into a a a the rock. I don't know how that works, but that's how Exodus describes it. And then God says, I'm going to pass by you, and you can get a glimpse of like the residual backside of my glory. You can't look at it square. You'll die, but I'm going to let you look at just the residual, the residue of my glory. And that's what Moses sees. And his face, the skin of his face 
glows and it radiates to such a degree that the people are scared of him and make him cover his face. Moses, you are scaring us. Put a veil over your face. So, so that's how I want us to just understand when, when Jude says, to him be glory. Let's not minimize that. Let's think about God's glory that way. Overwhelming brightness that fills the cosmos. Next, Jude says, we ascribe to him majesty. If glory relates to brightness, then majesty relates to greatness. Have you ever walked into like a, a, a big cathedral or a big hall and your eyes just keep going up and up and up and you're just amazed as you look up at this ex- expansive space? Or even better, you pull up to the nondescript dirt parking lot and you walk about 50 meters to the edge of a, which you think is a pretty low railing and then you look out over this immense deep canyon with layers of rocks. I'm talking about the Grand Canyon. And down at the bottom, there's a tiny river. And you're like, this railing is not safe. Because what you look out in front of you is this massive expanse carved out in the earth. And your response is what? Wow. It's a sample of majesty. A number of years ago, our family was in Glacier National Park and we decided on this easy little one-mile one loop trail. We're like, we can do that. The Trail of the Cedars. I don't know if anyone has ever been to... It's like very flat. It's a one-mile loop. It takes you from the parking lot back to the parking lot. Beautiful. About halfway through that trail, there's a sign off in the distance that says, hey, Avalanche Lake is only 2.4 miles that way. And I thought, we got snacks and water. Ruby was two years old. Lucy was three. What's a five-mile round trip? We could do that. So we did. And as you hike, if anyone like goes and hikes in the woods or hikes anywhere, like you pass people coming the other way and they're like, you're almost there, which every time is a lie. And so you're going along and you're just chugging away. And at one point, and I did ask her for permission if I could share this, at one point my daughter Nora, who's six at the time, she goes, which kids would typically do after hiking for three miles in the wilderness, to go like, Dad, my legs are tired. Are we going to get there, like, ever? And just a few hundred yards further, after she made that very reasonable complaint, a few hundred yards further, as we walked out of the tall trees and into some tall grass, and then down onto this rocky beach of Avalanche Lake. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you find yourself in this gorgeous basin, surrounded by mountains, which we do not have here, (laughs) and this beautiful, still lake. We actually had like lunch or snacks over on a little log, and a deer walked over to us. It was like, is this National Geographic? Is someone filming right now? What is happening? But so we we enter, and we walk onto this kind of rocky beach area, and from behind me, unprompted, I hear Nora's little voice say, totally worth it. The six-year-old was struck by the majesty of where we were standing. And so if we can be awed by the majesty of these created things, how much more majestic is the throne room of the one who creates such majesty? Right? We ascribe to him glory and majesty. Third, 
Jude says we ascribe to him dominion. It's a great word. Strength, power, might. These words are kind of wrapped up in that idea of dominion. In the English, it shares a root with the word dominate. So it shows power, right? Psalm 62 verse 11 says this, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. That word power is the Hebrew equivalent to this word translated dominion. That passage I referenced earlier from 1 Timothy, Paul says, The King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, he continues, whom no one has ever seen or can see, Paul writes, to him be honor and eternal dominion. So the picture here isn't just power generically. It's one of sovereign rule, absolute power and rule as king over everything. He created all things. He subdues all things. He holds together all things. He rules over all things. The Lord rules in power over all things and over all time. Him we ascribe, to Him we ascribe dominion. And fourth, Jude says authority. Now, authority and dominion are are tied together. They're connected. Dominion highlights God's rule And authority refers to his rule exercised. So not only does he rule over all things, but all things submit to his rule and authority. There's nothing outside of his rule. That's his authority. Jesus says that the Father has granted him, in Matthew 28, all authority according to his humanity, authority in his resurrection. And he then gives authority and sends out disciples to serve as his witnesses. This is the church taking dominion under the authority of Christ Jesus and pushing back the darkness with the light of the gospel. It's a great commission. It's Christ's authority exercised. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, some knees, no, 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 every knee will bow Every tongue will make this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's authority exercised. Now there's a whole lot more we could say here, but but here's the point. Jude's worship declaration ascribing to God the things that are true of God. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And then he continues. Look at verse 25. To what might be my favorite portion of the whole book. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Here it is. Before all time, and now, and forever. That's the third part of how our worship is shaped who it is that we are addressing in our worship. What is it that that we ascribe to him? And this third is the, the shape of our adoration is a continued, unending praise. 
and it relates to the attributes of God that Jude just described to him, which I think is the part that makes this part of the text really fantastic. When Jude says, to God be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, Jude isn't asking. Jude is not saying, may you be full of glory. May you be full of dominion. May you have authority. It's not an ask. Rather, Jude is giving us an already. You are. That's what Jude is saying here. To the God who radiates with glory, to the God who sits enthroned in majesty, to the one who has dominion and power, who reigns with ultimate authority. And Jude says these attributes are already his. Why? Because they were his before time, and they are his now, and they will be his forever. He never does not have them. He's never not glorious. He doesn't ever not reign in authority over all things before all time and now and forever. Think about that. There has never been a time in eternity past. There isn't a situation in the world right now and there is not, nor will there ever be a time into the future where God isn't glorious where he's not majestic, where he doesn't rule with full dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Is there anything more comforting for the weary heart? The one that is weary from the world, the one that is in need of assurance and confidence than this reality that God is good and that God is unchanging, that God is the exact same God yesterday and today and forever. His glory and His power have been and are right now and ever will be unshakable. That's the picture that Jude is trying to paint here. And the question I've wrestled with this week a little bit is this. How might, I might, how might I live differently if I truly believed that, if I truly was anchored to that reality? What fears that creep up in my life would be stilled, would be put in perspective? What fruitless striving that we chase after would cease if we followed Jude's lead here and more fully believed in God's rule and reign over all things? What would we no longer fear? How might, how might both the worship from our mouths and the worship of our lives be different? Matthew Harmon, <clears throat> in his commentary on this section of Jude, he says this. God has been worthy of praise from eternity past, is currently worthy of praise, and will continue to be worthy of praise forevermore. The appropriate response is simply, Amen. So be it. Which leads us to the final word of Jude's doxology and the fourth piece that shapes our worship, and that is one word. Amen. Simply it means, let it be so. So when you say amen, you are saying yes to whatever it was that came before. In this case, 
Amen is the appropriate response to the rule and reign of Jesus over all things. Let me frame it this way. God is able to keep his own. Amen. God takes joy in presenting his own people blameless as perfect reflections of his perfect son. Amen. God is eternally glorious eternally majestic, and he rules in power and authority. Amen. Jesus right now reigns as king over all. Amen. That's what Jude is saying here and shapes our posture of worship. Now, I think it's fitting here that that Jude kind of turns our attention upward in worship. Because if you've been following along in this short little letter, Jude does draw some lines. He reminds us of some pretty weighty realities of of sin and judgment and hell. He gives some sobering cautions, right? And at the end of the day, Jude is beyond confident that Jesus wins. That Jesus' lordship is not threatened that Jesus' church will be triumphant, and that Jesus' kingdom will not fail. And so in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of false teachers, in the midst of all kinds of trials, we can, in a way that might look crazy to the world, join Jude in singing. We can sing of God's glory in the midst of cancer and in death. We can sing of God's majesty in the midst of war and loss. We can sing of Christ's dominion in the midst of persecution and in the midst of disappointment. We can sing of Christ's authority in the midst of heartache and agony. In the midst of all those things, Jude is reminding us to say, now to him. Changes our perspective a bit. I said in our first week in Jude, that I thought not only was Jude timely and maybe a little necessary based on the world in which we live, this time and place, but also I said that my prayer was that this little book of Jude would be deeply formational for us as a church on mission together. Um, Matt Chandler is the president of our church planning network, X29 we're a part of, And he said something earlier this fall that really resonated with me. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of what he's saying and then pull a quote. He he starts off by talking to a bunch of leaders in the room and he goes, just so you all know, this is kind of our moment in history. There have been faithful men and women all throughout church history. He, He references people like John Owen or even more recently men, brilliant men like C.S. Lewis. And he says, but they're not here. They're in glory. And then he says this, so look around, this is it. And the room kind of chuckles nervously, right? But then he says this, this is Chandler. He says, I don't think the Lord is panicking. I don't think the Lord is going, not as good as the last batch. He says, we were born in this current moment, saturated in the context of this current moment, and we will be God's men and women for this moment. He says, it has been given to us to push back 
darkness, to proclaim the gospel, to establish light, and to live faithful lives in the neighborhoods and the churches and the workplaces and in all the places where we hobby and play. This is our time. There's nobody else coming for us. It is our moment, and it must be embraced. Now, I don't think Matt's just giving some rah-rah pep talk. I think he's looking out at the church going like, God has called you here, and he doesn't make a mistake. That's, Matt's words have been kind of resonating with me as I've been thinking through and as we've been working through Jude. Because here's the reality. The forward movement of the kingdom of God is not only advanced through men and women with large platforms and big churches and, and lots of influence. I'm not knocking those to whom God has given influence. That's great. But all throughout history, the kingdom of God has advanced inch by inch by inch through the work of the Spirit of God through His saints in remarkably ordinary ways. It's the faithfulness of God's people on a Tuesday around the dinner table. It's God at work in the ordinary and the mundane aspects of our lives as parents, as siblings, as neighbors, as employees. And so I, as I've been praying that Jude would be deeply formational for us as a church, this is what I've been praying, that, that we would be more sure of our identity in Christ, that, that we would be growing in our ability to exercise spiritual discernment so that we can identify and put down the lies of our enemy, that we would be less surprised by the evil we see in the world, but that we would walk in our new identity closely with Jesus, praying in the Spirit, and that our eyes would be fixed on our eternal hope. And that as we grow in this as a people, we would sense the Holy Spirit's power in us to have open hands and open tables to extend mercy, to show hospitality, to be eager to share the gospel with the lost so that in his mercy, God might use our imperfect attempts and our imperfect words to rescue people from the grip of darkness and the dangers of hell. So that if all these things that Jude has said are true about God, if they are actually true then you and I would also believe that God did not make a mistake in putting you exactly where you are. God put you in that chair that you're sitting in right now. He put you in the neighborhood in which you live. He put you in the job that you're going to go to tomorrow morning or the classroom or that family. Why? Because God knows some things and is doing some things. And if he, if he is before all things and in him all things hold together, it means that we can trust that he knows what he's doing. Now, I'm sure that some of you might be looking at yourself and your situation and saying, yeah, I'm, thanks for that, but I'm not so sure. Which is why I said what I said when we started. When in doubt, worship. Jude says this, now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, and dominion and authority before all time 
and now and forever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we confess you alone are worthy of praise. We exalt you in your glory and your majesty. We are humbled by your dominion and we bow before you. As your beloved, we come with boldness and confidence. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your salvation through Jesus Christ. And we ask you to open our hearts to see, our eyes to see and our hearts to believe. Thank you for those who are yours, that you hold us, that you keep us from stumbling, and that you share your eternal joy with your people. We ask you not only sustain us, but that you'd empower us with the hope of your unchanging glory and majesty and dominion and authority, that we might face with courage and with joy whatever it is you might bring into our lives, that in everything that you might bring us through and in every place you might lead us, we will worship. Let our praise of you be loud and unhindered. To you be praise and honor forever. Amen. Amen.